You are now listening to the Socks and Sandals podcast. Every time an independent, a truly independent source goes into the Portland Place Bureau, we find chaos. Just one of the people like just told to my managers who like had fired me, they were like, yeah, did you see Tevin's video was on Complex? And he was like, man, dog, they sick, man. Yada, yada. And I was just like, I was laughing because it was just like, you know, bro, like, you know, God, God always got a plan. In that moment, I thought, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to sit here in the middle of this aisle in Target and talk to her and break down what is going on and why she believes that these white Barbie dolls are more valuable or should come home with us over these brown and black Barbie dolls. The Egyptian creation story is a very sexual one. Mm -hmm. And it talks of the god creating himself through a sexual act with himself. So it's a masturbatory big bang like I never even hire coaches when I establish a program. I always hire mentors first. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because a mentor gets the big picture. Coach might just get basketball. I want somebody that under X's and I want somebody that's about whole life. I'm not the only podcaster out there. You're not the only marketer out there. Like there's a lot of people doing the same things. But the things that's going to separate you and I from the rest of the people is that we become our best selves and we just don't quit. So what is the gospel? What is the pure, unadulterated yes, gospel? Yes, yes, and that is what I live by, because the moment this changes is the moment I'm leaving Christianity. Okay. The pure, unadulterated gospel, and I can say it in one sentence, but I'll elaborate. For sure. Is love God and do whatever the fuck you want. What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Sausage Sinners Podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm back in the building, whipping it up. And um, I just wanted to highlight y'all real quick, and I want to talk about critical race theory. All right? Now, not critical race theory in the nuts and bolts of it, but basically critical race theory as in the way that people are using it right now. Um, so critical race theory is just a buzzword and a code word for talking about race and racism um, and especially how it plays out in America. But before we get into that, for those of you that are watching, um, I apologize, the, the scruffiness, um, my, my injury, my ruptured Achilles has, um, has interrupted my barber schedule and so <laughs> i hope to be getting back in a chair and getting cleaned up soon but um as i digress but, but actually let me let me tell y'all that story those that are not following me on social media and didn't read what i put on instagram and facebook but um on july 16th friday july 16th i did my first in-person workshop since the pandemic right super excited about that and still um Still feeling very good about what we were able to accomplish on Friday. But so this is what happened. So I was at the uh, I was doing a, a workshop with Word is Bond PDX, which is a group led by Lakiana Drury. And um, it is a 
kind of a rites of passage program for young boys, um, high school and college age boys from age 16 to 21. And so it not only teaches them about manhood and um, helps them prep for college, but also gives them internships throughout the summer. So they work with various organizations and they get to learn and just do all the things, right? And so I was able to do a, a three hour workshop and my workshop was on race-based trauma or yeah, so race-based trauma, is that, that's what I call it. And so um, I was about 90 minutes into the workshop and it's, it's amazing how the universe, like when you start doing something, you start talking about something, you get real firm about it. The universe is gonna test you, right? Like you start talking about family and you start talking about this, that and the other and then something's gonna happen to your family. And you're gonna, you're gonna be tested in a way of, you know, how your family operates and, and how they interact with you. Uh, you start talking about money, this, that and the other and then you're gonna have different things happening finance wise that, that wasn't happening otherwise. But now that you're talking about it, some things are happening, right? So. You know, I'm talking about trauma and I've created this workshop and, uh, you know, until <laughs> up until now, you know, I'm talking about race based trauma, which is more psychological. But then how the psychological stuff and how the system of white supremacy for non-white folks, how it affects you mentally, but also how it affects you physically. And I was literally talking about um, how adrenaline you know that adrenaline rush that we have that we get you know a part of that is being in survival mode a part some of that is physically going through something you know anticipating something but sometimes it's just mentally it's the mental anticipation of what could happen and sometimes we get caught up in that fear of not knowing and we we initiate the stress response unnecessarily right but less story a uh, long story less long so i was talking about giving an example of an adrenaline rush and how that helps you in a physical time but how it can hurt you over time mentally and then how it wears on your body so i was telling a story about it was a snowstorm in 98 me and my buddy anthony uh, my best friend at the time still my brother you know what i mean shout out to you anthony peter you know what it is so we were we were walking around the neighborhood during the snow and ice storm and we had just got back from sledding down the hill by saving school. Some of y'all know about that in Northeast Portland. And so it was so icy. And I still to this day, I've never walked around outside where it was so icy where you could just barely walk. Like every block we were falling, we were walking so gingerly and so slow. Now we were about two and a half blocks from the house. And um, cause he lived right across the street from me. And um, there was this dog barking. And it was on the chain, it was like yanking, going back and forth, yanking, yanking the chain, barking behind the fence across the street. So we were looking, we were walking, like, dang, that's a big ass dog. Hope it don't get free, right? But because it's a big old Rottweiler. And so but we just kept moseying along. And then lo and behold, <laughs> the universe is gonna test me. You say, I, I hope that dog don't get free. The universe said, oh, that dog is getting free today. So the, so the um, leash snapped, boom. And then the dog hopped the fence because the fence was relatively low. And I seen, we both seen the dog hop the fence and we both turned and ran and took off. And I was in the conference hall and I turned and simulated a takeoff step. And just like that leash snapped, my right Achilles snapped as I turned and took off. Literally just one 
step, one plant, turn, boom, snapped it. And so as soon as it happened, I knew it was a wrap for my kill. I knew exactly what happened because I've heard the stories. You know, I remember Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. He was talking about, you know, it feels like somebody kick you in the back of the leg. And I've had like three or four friends. Actually, now that I put it on <laughs> IG, it's a lot of folks that I know that have snapped their Achilles. And it's the same. Everybody that's told me that story, it feels like somebody kicked you in the back of your leg. And so as soon as that happened, I, I could hear it and I could feel it. And so it was very loud, right? And so um, I turned back to the guys, to the, the group of high school, college boys. And I was like, yo, did y'all hear that? I just snapped my Achilles. And it was like, oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then a few of them was like, oh, I thought you just hit the table. I thought when you turned, you hit the table. I thought that's what that sound was. I said, nah, that was the back of my foot. That was my Achilles. And I was like, dang, for real? I was like, yeah, bro. But uh, let me just go ahead and sit down. And so I walked back to my seat. I sat down and I was 90 minutes into a three hour workshop. So I sat down and I finished out the last 90 minutes of that workshop. And uh, so I had to, <laughs> I had to literally live out what I was teaching. So not only overcoming a uh, mental trauma, but physical trauma, right? And so like, I literally had a traumatic experience to the back of my foot, to my, to my Achilles. It's ruptured. I don't know if it's partially or fully ruptured yet. I haven't went and gotten my MRI yet. So I'm waiting on, once I get that, then I'll know for sure if I gotta have surgery or not. But basically I ruptured that thing. I, I snapped it, right? And so um, I'm going through a traumatic experience and I'm teaching and engaging and asking questions, just going through it all, all the motions while I'm, I can feel like the back of my leg heating up. It, it didn't hurt too bad, but like I could, I could feel that agitation. I could feel the blood coming, you know what I mean? It getting heavy. Um, it was starting to get a little uncomfortable and in any normal situation, you know, um, I probably would have focused on it more, but I was intentionally trying to not focus on it and focus on the workshop and focus on the young men because that's what I came there to do. And so, um, you know, one of my 10 universal affirmations, um, I used to call it 10 commandments, but I was like, I don't like commandments. I just like affirmations, right? So one of my 10 universal aff affirmations, my last affirmation is um, number 10, is finished strong. You know what I mean? My, my sixth <laughs> affirmation is do uncomfortable work. My seventh affirmation is surrender surrender the outcome. So I was doing under un uncomfortable work. I had to surrender the outcome of, you know what? My Achilles is snapped, but I still got a job to do. I have a task to complete. Um, and I'm gonna finish what I came to do and I'm gonna live up to my affirmations. I'm gonna live up to, you know, working, literally showing them on the spot how to overcome trauma physically and mentally and still perform and do what you got to do you know so it's it's amazing how it worked out and um it's weird it's like a it's like a blessing in, in disguise man like um i was just thinking of all the things i could have been doing you know like i could have been doing a whole lot of things that i didn't really care about or didn't really bring me joy but i was doing the thing that brought me the most joy i was living out my passion um just doing my life's work and doing the work of the ancestors and so it happened 
and it's like it's unfortunate like i'm i'm immobile for the most part but i got to do it doing what i love and so i just i feel like oddly blessed by it you know it's, it's a crazy thing but um pray for your boy you know i have a uh I have a, a, a job that I just got. It, it, it doesn't start until September the 20th, but it'll be mostly office work and uh, it'll be remote as well. And of course, I'm doing the course. Um, and really quick before I let me tell you all about that. So know your enemy, the evolution of racism 3.0 that is launching September 29th. All right. Uh, only 12 spots. We are we only got eight left. Um, it's, it's actually filling up sooner than I thought. So only eight spots left. All right, so um, go to the website or just email me ypdevelopment2030 at gmail.com. Um, we can discuss getting you signed up. But you know what I'm talking about. What I'm going to talk about right now is gonna it leads into you know a lot of what we get into in the course. Um, so let me just give you a little taste of what we're going to talk about. Things of this nature. So there's this article that I just read, and it's very it's very interesting because it's an article by. Um, Al Jazeera. So it's a, you know, when we talk about racism and white supremacy, it's it's global, right? But the understanding is not universal, right? And so it's interesting to hear someone who is a professor. He teaches um, in in a university, and I think Iran. And I'll get it right when I pull up the the article. And he also teaches at Columbia University. And so to hear his interpretation of race and racism as he attempts to attack the critical race theory um, debacle debate that's going on right now. It's very interesting. So I'm gonna read and react, kind of break this down and rebut and shed light on what he's saying and just kind of help. Cause, cause a lot of people might have these same ideas or the same confusion. And that's the, that's the reason why I created Know Your Enemy, The Evolution of Racism. A lot of us, talk about racism but we really don't know what it is we talk about race we talk about racism but we don't know what it is and so because there's so much confusion about what race is what racism is and how it works it's little that we accomplish as far as creating the outcomes that we want to create which is the most the outcome number one top of the top of the list should be to produce justice that should be it. If we're talking about racism, racism is a globally unjust system. And so the opposite of racism is justice in all areas of activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor law, politics, religion, sex, and war. Um, without further ado, let me pull up this article real quick. Bang, bang. All right, so here we, here we go. So this is an opinion piece. And the title is white is not a color white is an ideology now he already hold on let me just all right so his the the author uh is hamid dabashi he is the hagop kavorkian professor of iranian studies and comparative literature at columbia university oh he just teaches at columbia he doesn't teach overseas okay cool so the title off top, it's off. It's off, right? We're talking about race, talking about racism. The title is misleading because it's not true. White is not a color. 
white is an ideology white is a color all right and whiteness is an ideology though i get what he's trying to say white as it pertains to race is an ideology uh whiteness race racism is an ideology but white is not an ideology white is a classification of people all right let's go further he says the word white in the context of talking about racism is not a signifier for skin color in this vital context white is an ideology it is it so the thing about racism um and and racial classification racism and that's why i call it the evolution racism and racial classification has evolved over the years so if he's talking about um you know 18th 19th century this statement would be correct right if you're talking about literally the term caucasian you know and because i was um created by johann friedrich blumenbach and he was studying skulls and the the most beautiful skull he found was um, from some woman that was from the Caucasus Mountains. And so he assigned that as the top tier of all the races. Of, they were the top on the racial totem pole, so to speak. And so, but when it comes to ethnic origin, there, like the Caucasus Mountains is in like Eastern Europe, or I guess it would say middle to Mid-Eastern Europe. Right. It's right in between. It's right. It's right by Turkey. So there are descendants, descendants from the Caucasus that went east. And so there were certain um, man, what what book was I reading where it talked about that? Um, Ariella Gross. Blood. What what blood won't tell that book, what blood won't tell, I believe it was written like 2010, 2011 by um ariella gross she is a professor or used to be a professor when she still is at usc so she talked about you know certain cases where people were getting um deported in america right um that were indian but then they would prove that their ancestry originated from the caucasus which is true right people from the caucasus went everywhere <laughs> they went west they went east so yes, in the in the 1800s, you know, um, white wasn't about skin color because you could be so-called Caucasian and be Indian and be brown. But as of right now, like mid late to current, or I would say 20th to 21st century, white is about skin color. Right, a black person can't be white. An Indian person can't be white. Now, people can identify however they want to identify. But when it comes down to checking a box and or being treated a certain type of way without anyone knowing you, it's based upon skin color and your appearance. All right. Um, I don't want to belabor that point. Let's keep moving. So. It says uh, the rising public conversations about race and racism in the United States have once again confused millions of well-meaning Americans into believing that if they look like what is now socially codified as white, then they must feel guilty about the racist history 
of their country. It's not true. And it's still not true. So if you look white, but you're not American, critical race theory has nothing to do with holding um, white passing Romanian, right? right. It, it has nothing to do like like a Romanian immigrant. You know, it's about American history. Critical race theory is about American history and how the laws have codified racism. Period, and how it has created inequities and perpetuated um, the segregation, the, the subjugation, and exploitation, and even extermination of non-white people, specifically in America. That's what critical race theory is about. It's not about making someone feel guilty just for being white. Right. So I'll keep reading. It says this is false guilt. Looking at any person and judging the content of their character based on the complexion of their skin is blatant racism. Now, that sounds great. That sounds appealing, but it's not true. And that's even it's not even genuine to the conversation of what's happening as it pertains to race and racism and or critical race theory in that conversation. I'm going to read it again, though. Looking at any person and judging the content of their character based on the complexion of their skin is blatant racism. So what he's saying is if you see somebody that has white skin and you call them white, that's racism. That might be prejudice. That might be a misjudgment of someone's so-called racial classification or designation. But that's not racism. And that's that's the thing. When we talk about racism, there's so much confusion and so many people, even this professor at Columbia can throw out these sentences that are not true and that are not historically backed. And it's just his own conjecture based upon a lack of understanding, willful or not, of what racism is and how it works. Right. So just looking at somebody and calling them white is not racism. Let me tell you what racism is. I mean, it's it's many things. There's so many different, um, so many different definitions. But this is this is my definition. Let me actually share share my screen with you guys again. All right. So my definition of racism. I use four definitions um, because this is so much. But racism is first and foremost systematic prejudice antagonism and discrimination directed at non-white people now if if a native american and or anyone from the west indies in the 1550s or let's say 1492 sees christopher columbus and his spaniards coming and they call them pale faces it's like oh man the pale faces came and they got guns the pale faces came and they took my my nephew my niece and um 10 other village kids by the West Indian folks, the Taino folks and whoever they came in contact with by them calling the Spaniards pale faces and, or modern day that would, they will call them white people. That does not make them racist. That's just them calling them how they see them. It's not politically correct. I'm sure that's not what Christopher Columbus and the Spanish folks that he came with called themselves, they didn't call themselves pale faces, but that's what that group, that's how they identified them. If 
I see somebody who's German and, and but I don't know that they're from Germany, but they've been there's fourth, fifth generation American, and they're like, oh man, that's yes, he's he's white, you know. Um whatever. That's not me being racist. That's just me calling them white using the social construct of race, which we use in this in, in America. And I'm gonna get into the construct as well, but let me stick to the definition. So once again. Racism is systematic prejudice, antagonism, and discrimination directed at non-white people, period. Racism is a system. It's not prejudice. There is a difference between um, racial prejudice and racism. And that is one thing that is the biggest error in communication that we have when we speak about racism. Let me continue. Racism is a collective racial bias backed by legal authority and institutional control. Simply put, I mean, that's it. It's a collective racial bias backed by legal authority and institutional control. And when you're talking about critical race theory, it's a it's came from, you know, lawyers like legal studies. And so and what I get into in the course is there is a lot of law involved. And even before I even knew what critical race theory was, I studied the laws because the laws shape society and they create norms and they create status quo and common sense and I, I get into the laws especially of the colonies because the colonies Virginia, Maryland and New York um, the first uh, three of the first four colonies they're the ones that laid the foundation of law and some of that language and some of the things that all of America still abides by or has abided by all the way up until the 60s and until the civil rights movement and some of the, and the you know police brutality and voter suppression, all that stuff, it all comes from stuff that was happening in the 1600s that has not been corrected, right? Um, let me continue because I'm gonna get into a whole bunch of course stuff and get away from the topic of today. So racism is <clears throat> also, it's all these things, right? So racism is my third definition it's the belief that people differ along biological and genetic lines and that one's own group is superior to another group. These beliefs, not just that by itself, but these beliefs are coupled with and compounded by the power to negatively affect the lives and limit the options of those perceived inferior. So it's not just <clears throat> thinking that somebody's um, genetically superior, but it's the beliefs of genetic superiority that are coupled with and compounded by the power to negatively affect the lives and limit the options of those perceived inferior. So once again, <clears throat> those beliefs with the power and that power comes from comes from legal authority and institutional control. And it's a system. And so that legal authority and that institutional control and that intellectual control plays out in all areas of activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor law, politics, religion, sex, and war. So simply put, racism is white supremacy. And we say white supremacy, people get that term mixed up and they and they get real tight about that, especially non-white people. It's like, I ain't, I ain't calling nobody supreme. You ain't supreme, I'm supreme. No, no. There's a difference between supreme and superior. And that's the that's where we get caught up in the language and we don't we attach definitions to the wrong words. Supreme literally means you have total control. 
And so the truth is, when we say white supremacy, we're talking about American, Western European, all of those folks that have colonized every piece of land, except for Antarctica, well, they still control Antarctica as well. But those folks that colonized every piece of land on the planet, and they set the standards and the norms and they govern and they, you know, militarize and they do, it's white supremacy, right? And so they don't have total control right now. Of course, China controls China, Japan controls Japan, but everybody has to acquiesce to the power structure. Everybody has to speak the language of the oppressor, of the aggressor, and those languages are English, Spanish, and French, and Portuguese. There are a lot of people that speak those languages, they ain't never been to Britain, <laughs> ain't never been to France, and ain't never been to Portugal, but they, or ain't, ain't, ain't never been to Spain, but they're speaking that language because of colonization, because of the supreme, the, the, the supremacy of all areas of, of activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war, right? And so, okay, so let's let's get back to it. Um, let's pick up where we left off. A reactionary propagandist named Christopher Rufo is now identified as the chief agent provocateur mobilizing racist Americans against a figment of their own imagination. They call critical race theory by way of conflating racism with a designated color of a person's skin. Once again, nobody's doing that. Nobody's conflating racism with the color of a person's skin, but I will continue to read. The objective is to frighten people to think that if the color of their skin is coded as white in this country, then they are targets of their so-called colored compatriots demands for justice. Now, once again, critical race theory is not about that. And when we're speaking of racism, we're not targeting white people for justice. We're targeting the system. <laughs> we are targeting the government. Those that are responsible for the harm. The education system. Right now, granted. Folks that are classified as white have perpetrated the racism. They have perpetrated the prejudice, the systematic prejudice, the systematic antagonism, and the systematic discrimination towards non-white people. And those folks are also protected by their so-called white racial classification. That's just a fact. So that's the fact of the matter. That's the way that it works out. Like it or not, that's how that's how it plays out. And so, but what we're when we talk about we want justice, we want justice from the system. We want justice from all these organizations that claim to be anti-racist, that claim to be diverse, but then they continue to perpetuate harm. That's what people are talking about when we're talking about critical race theory. And we're talking about justice being produced for those that have been harmed. Those that are so-called victims of racism. All right, so let's let's continue. 
But the word white in the context of talking about racism is not a signifier for skin color. <laughs> in this vital context, white is an ideology. You are only white in this sense if you think you are entitled to certain privileges that must be denied to others whom you are in the same breath call black, brown, red, yellow, etc. I mean, this couldn't be further from the truth. And if, if this is what they're teaching at Columbia University in New York City, this is a damn shame. I mean, this is this is piss poor analysis of what racism, what racism is. It's, it's almost like a sounds like a political type of stance, which is not rooted in history, um, especially American history. So let's let's run it back real quick says the word white in the context of talking about racism is not a signifier for skin color in the con in this vital context white is an ideology so white is not a skin color white is an ideology yes and no right white it, for the most part is whatever the white supremacists say it is <laughs> so i talk about in the course i talk about um the establishment the maintenance, the expansion and refinement stages of white supremacy, right? So when white supremacy was established and it's still, it's just an idea, it's an idea of an ideology. So when white supremacy was being established, those that were white by law, especially, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk about American history and American law. Those that are white were basically Europeans, Christian Europeans, specifically British, right? So those are the white people, the Anglo-Saxon. Now, when folks were immigrating to America, the Irish were not initially entitled to white privileges. And what are those white privileges? The ability to own, own land and the ability to vote. Those are the main privileges that make you someone who can actually enjoy the wealth, accumulate the wealth that America produces, right? And so you can participate in that American dream if you're able to do that. If not, you're just a worker or a slave, right? So when the Irish were coming over here, when the Italians were coming over here, they were not white until the white supremacists, Anglo-Saxons, went through an, an, an expansion phase and included them. Matter of fact, let me show y'all something. I'm reading a book right now, I'm not finished with it. It's called, How the Irish Became White. Everybody wasn't white just because of their skin color. So that's true. But as of right now in America, if you come over and you have white, you don't have melanin in your skin, you are eligible to check the box white and be treated. So now it's not necessarily about having land and being able to vote, but it's just being able to be treated and accepted into certain neighborhoods and enjoying the wealth of that neighborhood, right? Because even though segregation, let's, let's talk about like housing, even though segregation um, is illegal, it still happens, <laughs> right? There are certain neighborhoods where if there's too many non-white people that move in, folks will sell their houses. There will be uh, divestment in the community. 
and you and you there will be hostility towards those non-white people in that neighborhood even to this day now if you are and i can't speak for um uh, russians or romanians or italian you know so on and so forth um i'm just a, a black guy living in portland oregon so i don't i don't know at all but what i'm getting at is if you come to america and you have white skin there is a, a vetting process of you of you assimilating and acting the part so even if you don't necessarily look the part you don't necessarily oh they're not german they're not british they're not dutch they're not norwegian scandinavian oh but they they act like us in public they don't rock the boat they talk like us they dress like us if you do all that and you assimilate you're accepted and your white skin is just you you can blend in right not to say that they don't have any type of discrimination that they face but you can blend in and you can live in this neighborhood your, your kids can go to that school you can enjoy all of the perks of living in this this county this school district all that type of stuff but if you're black if you're hispanic and you come to that same neighborhood it's going to be a hostile environment it's not going to be as welcoming you're going to run into a lot of hurdles and if and if you if you recruit your family and they start buying up in that neighborhood white people will leave and because they leave they determine that oh this neighborhood isn't worth as much anymore because we're not here and that's the way the market goes so that's just one example right that's just that's just one example of how whiteness works how whiteness can expand to other people and how it functions and plays out so yeah you're not british you're not you know you don't get you don't have the history of racial harm but you can you do have the privilege of being assimilated into whiteness and operating as white and being treated as white right so as we move forward let me pull this article back up so the next paragraph it's just you, it couldn't be any more wrong so racism is a construct now what he should have said is race is a construct right race is a social construct and it's something that was just literally created in the 1700s by Johann Friedrich Blumenbach, but before that, Carl von Linnaeus. He's the, he's the father of creating race. White, by dividing man up into four divisions, um, Homo Europaeus, Homo Asiaticus, Homo Americanus, and Homo Afro. He described them by color, temperament, um, their, their values, their personality, and he created what we, like the stereotypes that we have today that we still, especially black folks that we struggle with, and other folks, um, those stereotypes are still held and they come from Carl Linnaeus's divisions of four divisions of humanity, right? So he created race. So race is a social construct. Racism, however, is very real. Right. The school to prison pipeline is very real. Segregation was real. The effects of the social construct of race is racism. Police brutality and the disproportionate killing of black black folks at the hands of police is real. But let's so his his whole 
the title of his paragraph is off, unfortunately. <clears throat> it reads, so there is no such thing as race, none. I get what he's saying. Genetically, there is, it's not scientific. Race is not scientific. That's basically what he's saying. This is how master novelist, late Toni Morrison broke it down very simply in a famous interview. It's the human race, scientifically, anthropog anthropo anthropologically. Racism is a construct, a social construct. It has benefits. Money can be made off of it. People who don't like themselves can feel better because of it. So it has a social function. But race can only be defined as a human being. So I get what he's saying. He's using Toni Morrison um, um, all, you know, with all due respect and rest in peace to Toni Morrison. Unfortunately, her 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 definition is wrong. Racism is not a construct. Race is a construct. And, I, and she may have just said it wrong. So like, and I, you know, I everybody does that. You know, when you're describing stuff, sometimes you say things and you didn't mean it that way, but you're just talking and you just keep going. And you don't realize until the playback is like, oh man, I didn't mean to say it like that. I meant to say it like, you know, so, um, but Toni Morrison or, or otherwise, race is a social construct. Racism is very real. Racism is the result of the social construct of race and how it plays out. Um, so let's, let's move forward. But he's, so basically he's basing his definition off of her one, um, her definition, her quote right there. So if that's as far as, if that's as far as he's researched, um, then that's on him to do more research as to dig into what race racism is and how it works. Um, also, quick quick side note. So, uh, in the spring, I took a. Sorry, I'm trying to get comfortable. This boot. I want to show y'all this boot. This boot is so uncomfortable, man. Like, golly. No comfort for the boot. Um, I took a course. Um, it was called. I took a course at, at PCC, a digital or virtual course, and it was called like interrogating whiteness or something like that. And so the instructor, um, I noticed that, and this is something that I, that after I went through the course, I realized that a lot of folks do this and people just accept it and i realize it's, it's a it's a unfortunately it's a critical mistake but it's an honest mistake in my opinion um and it's, it's easy to do because these people are they're notable names but you know she was basing a lot of her ideas definitions and theories on race and racism based upon um poets and writers right there were no psychiatrists there were no um it just wasn't a, a well-rounded group of people to take into account what racism is right and, and how it works and so she was she was referencing quite often like like i said writers and, and poets and stuff so it was like audrey lord James Baldwin, Toni Morrison. Um, oh man. But those are the, the top three names that were coming up. And I'm like, man, 
you can't just talk about racism just from the poetic, the experience, the pros of, of racism, you know, and it, because it, it's cool and it's it, it can be more enjoyable and it's more palatable when you hear like this amazing writer describe it in a way that's supposed to create an image for you. But sometimes you just got to get down to the the meat and potatoes of racism and you just need a, a wider range of people you know and so what you're going to notice in this article and you want to be aware of people that only study poets and writers and only use their version of racism because it's more of a uh it's a first-hand experiential and there's nothing wrong with that, but you do need to know law. You do need to have a scientific approach and you just need to have a more well-rounded approach when you're talking about race and racism, what it is and how it works. And you need more, you just need more references. And so, you know, I not only reference uh, James Baldwin um, extensively, you know, I will of course reference Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Frantz Fanon, Nellie Fuller Jr. Um, Francis Crest Welsing, psychiatrist, you know what I mean? Like Dr. Amos Wilson, psychiatrist. And not only just the civil rights folks, not only, you know, the, the good orators and whatnot, but you need to have people from a diverse background. Uh, I'll even use uh, Robin D'Angelo. She has, she has great writings about uh, race, race and racism. Her book right now, Nice Racism. It's amazing. I haven't read white for white, white fragility but nice racism is fire you know what i mean but john henry clark like you need a well-rounded group of people to learn from to reference not just the modern american writers that lived in the past 50 years you got to go back further and and even if it's not that far um you just need to because i mean you haven't been written about for that long but you just need to have a more diverse group of people to draw your uh, conclusions from and your definitions from. That's, that's all I'm getting at. So let's go ahead and move forward. All right, so I'm gonna wrap it up with this in, in the paragraph or in the part of the article where he says no races before racism. Um, let's touch on this. So he says, predicated on the illustrious past, being white is today an ideological conviction people acquire as they ignore such histories and are indoctrinated not just into racism but even more basically into racialized thinking being white is not a biological predicate by virtue of which one is condemned to hatred and bigotry no one is being white is an ideological conviction by virtue of which you are convinced you are a superior human being. Now, how do I want to attack this? So many angles. Um, let me read that, that second half again. Being white is not a biological predicate by virtue of which one is condemned to hatred and bigotry. No one is. Being white is an ideological conviction by virtue of which you are convinced you are a superior human being. So he's saying white is an ideological conviction. 
yes and no. I mean, it's just all truths are half truths, but this one, I mean, just the, the intellectual integrity, it's just not there. Um, white is not a conviction. In America, if you look European, you're white. People aren't just going to call you your background. They're going to call you white. Whether you like it or not, whether you go around identifying as white or not, you're white. If you have white skin and you have a European phenotype. Whether it's Nordic, Aryan, Caucasian, um, and whatever phenotype that they give for uh you know, Romanians and and, uh, and uh, Russians, which I would uh, assume is Caucasian, but um, you know, Greek, Italian, Spanish. What if you're from Europe, Western Europe, Northern Europe? You're white. You don't have to identify with whiteness to be classified as white. So there are folks out there, even even black folks, scholars, you know, that will say, you know, you're not white if you don't accept the idea of whiteness. And in my opinion, it's just not true, because once again, you are what society has called you. And that's like that's the toughest thing for uh, honestly, for for white people to to deal with, like. Because white people see themselves as individuals and they see everybody else as a race, <laughs> right? And so it's almost like white folks want to divorce themselves from racial classification when it comes to them. But when it comes to everybody else, everyone is kind of, because everyone is, is lumped in as that group and generalized as that group. And that's, you know, a lot of that is, is a function of living in a segregated community segregated society and so when you're when you're amongst yourself you don't see yourself as one group you see everybody as different because you have the privilege to do that and you have you've been centered in society in all areas of activity economics education entertainment labor law politics religion sex and war to see yourself as just your own individual free spirit self but unfortunately, the society that we live in, the country that we live in, has been segregated and everyone has been grouped. And so, yes, you are an individual just like I'm an individual. But unfortunately, you are white. I am black. This person is native. This person is, is, is Hispanic. This person is Asian. And they're referred to and treated as such. They're protected or not protected as such. They're favored or not favored as such. The bias is on one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum. And also fluctuates in the middle. But it. So you can't just intellectually disassociate yourself from white because you don't like the definition. And some white folks think that they can do that. I mean, and in their perfect world, in their minds, they can. But in reality, 
everybody is identified by their group. And there's nothing wrong with being identified as a group. I mean, that's this racism stuff is more or less a, a tribalism turned into this fictitious stuff based upon color and these attributes that have been given and still have been attributed from what Carl Von Linnaeus wrote out and we're still kind of operating under that paradigm. But we're social creatures. We're supposed to identify with groups. We're supposed to hunt in packs. We're supposed to live in packs. You know, I mean, what what animal is out there in, in, in the wild is going to survive just by themselves? Right. You got to reproduce. You got to take care of your young. You got to hunt. Sometimes you got to hunt together. You know, you keep each other warm. The animal that strays off from the pack is prey. So there's nothing wrong with being a part of the pack, being a part of the group. But then when your ideology of your group is predicated on all other people's subjugation, exploitation and extermination, that's obviously when it's a problem. And that's what we have to talk about. And that's what we have to overcome in this country, in this world. We have to overcome that part and we have to understand it and not demonize just the fact of using the word white and not even demonize or politicize the term critical race theory when you don't even know what it is. You're just using it as a term for unfair teaching of race and racism. We shouldn't even talk about that because if we talk about race, that divides people, right? No. It educates people. We live in a racist society. Because if race wasn't that big of a deal, why won't they just take that off of the census? Why is it where every time I go to the hospital, I got to check what race I am? Why is it when I fill out an application at, at the bank for a bank account, I got to check what race I'm at, I am? Why is it when I enroll my kids in school, I have to check what race I am? Why is it when I apply for a job, I have to check what race I am? Why is it when somebody gets an Oscar or a Tony or an Emmy, they they talk about, oh, this is the first black, this is the first Asian Pacific Islander, this is the first Latinx. Why? Why don't they just stop? Who controls that? Why is it when there's a president, oh, it's the first black, oh, it's the first black president, black vice president, first black female senator? Why? Who made it up? Why is there such thing as a black church and a white church? Who started that? And so when we talk about white supremacy, when we talk about every area of activity, we're talk that's what we're talking about when we're talking about racism. We're talking about a systematic prejudice, antagonism, and discrimination of non-white people. We're talking about the subjugation, exploitation, and if those and if certain groups are not willing to be subjugated or exploited, they have been exterminated. And that's history. It's happened. Now, once again, I'll talk about that in my course, Know Your Enemy, The Evolution of Racism, which once again starts September 29th. So holler at me. Eight spots left. But beyond that, just keep listening to the podcast. And I just want to keep enlightening you, whether you're a part of the course or not. I care about you. I'm, I'm going to do this come hell or high water um, on two legs from a seated position 
missing an Achilles. You feel me? So if you have any questions, you want to further this conversation, email me ypdevelopment2030 at gmail.com or hit me on Instagram, Socks and Sandals Podcast or uh, Emmanuel Since 85, my personal page. All right. Once again, it's the Socks and Sandals Podcast where society, culture, history and religion collide. And we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Holla at y'all next time. Grace and peace. Peace.